On this edition of Geopolitics and Empire, we interview Bill Simpich, who is a civil rights attorney and anti-war activist. We will be discussing the new petition and call for a Truth and Reconciliation Committee to reopen probes and investigations into the deaths of John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., and Malcolm X. It is signed by over 50 to 60 prominent Americans, which include Kennedy and King family members and Mr. Simpich himself. Before we start the interview, I would like to remind listeners that we do need your help in maintaining and growing the Geopolitics and Empire podcast. Our mission is to conduct interviews with a very diverse range of guests from all around the world on geopolitics and international affairs, seeking to gain insight from experts on both the left and the right as to the true nature of current events. Our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and we do have an email newsletter that goes out each weekend, which includes the weekly podcast and compiles a long list of what I think are the key stories of the week. We need your help because the media environment is becoming more oppressive and more resources are needed in order to survive and thrive. I often have to deal with trolls, technical and deplatforming issues and so on. First, you can help us for free by subscribing to our mailing list, social media, content channels, sharing them, commenting, and hitting the like button. It is also a big help if you leave us a good rating and review on your preferred podcast listening platform, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, or CastBox. And second, you can leave us a small donation via Patreon, PayPal, or Bitcoin, which is used to cover the basic annual production cost, and then anything extra is used to bolster the program and possibly someday allow me to spend more time doing podcasting and interviewing people you would like to hear. Now let's get back to the interview. Thanks for joining us on the broadcast. Appreciate it. I'm uh, glad to be here. Now, for the first question, I'd, I'd like to start our conversation on the assassinations themselves, but not go too much in depth because, you know, there's a lot of books and lectures and documentaries on the four assassinations and listeners can go out and get the minute details uh, in, in books and lectures, which are avail available online, uh, as well as some of your material. My favorite books uh, about these subjects include James Douglas's JFK and the Unspeakable, as well as William Pepper's uh, um, book, uh, Active State. And I think he has a, a newer one that just came out a year or two ago. Um, so because th this, this subject may be somewhat new for some li listeners, could you kind of summarize the viewpoint uh, that you have, as well as some of your colleagues who have signed the petition on what happened to JFK, RFK, MLK, uh, and Malcolm X, and sort of boil it down to, to, in essence, a common denominator or or thread that connects all four? Uh, I will do my best, uh, because th they are different cases. Uh, they happened within a five-year period, however. They're in a very tumultuous uh, time in American life, uh, the most tumultuous since our civil war. And, uh, all four of them were in the fight. They didn't agree with each other all the time to put it mildly, but, uh, they were all, uh, inspirational men. And, uh, the impact on me, uh, for the first 20, 30 years was I didn't see the connection between them much except the Kennedys. Uh, only uh, later did I start coming to the conclusion that uh, there's pro there was probably high governmental activity within all four of them. And the reason 
a lot of us came to that conclusion is because when you try to study these cases, instead of the evidence coming closer together, as it usually does in a homicide investigation, it keeps going farther apart. Uh, as my friend Tim Thompson, an investigator, likes to say, that's not the way investigations generally work. And uh, so, so I think the short answer is that without getting into the weeds, uh, I uh, thought the JFK case was probably more of a mundane uh, type case because I never really thought that Kennedy was uh, a historic leader. I thought he was a good guy, but I felt he was a cold warrior. And it wasn't until relatively recently uh, in my study that I realized just how much he threatened the powers that be in the CIA and the Pentagon. Uh, I didn't take it as seriously as I might have. Uh, I felt it. And I must say that uh, all the researchers, we all have slightly different takes on this thing. We don't, we're not a monolith by any means. And, the, and that's part of the reason it's difficult to resolve this case. We don't have subpoena power, meaning we can't force witnesses to talk to us. And that power is really important if you're trying to resolve a case. I'm an attorney, right? And I can subpoena people and make them come to court or make them give a statement. And, you know, independent researchers can't do that. So we need at least, uh, you know, some superpowers, if you will, uh, if we're going to get historical resolution in this case uh, more quickly. Let's put it that way. And time is kind of running out. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And what about the the? So Kennedy seems straightforward, straightforward enough. Uh, and what about then uh, MLK and Malcolm X? Well, MLK case is uh, for me kind of similar. Uh, and it's funny in our group. This is the one where you know right now we're arguing the most. You know, was it just racist? in the mafia or was there high level government involvement too uh my personal conclusion is that it's clear to me there's high level government collusion in the cover-up uh i feel pretty strong about that i have not researched that case as well as i might so uh i'm not as equipped to argue high level government uh role in the act itself uh mr pepper does a pretty good job but i don't always agree with mr pepper so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great discussion and it's an important discussion because it's clear to me in the Martin Luther King case, for example, that when you drop the, uh, the gun basically out in, in the middle of the street within moments after the assassination, that's not the way an, an assassin wants to uh, do their job if they're any kind of professional. And this does look like a professional job for a number of reasons. And the Malcolm X case is kind of similar, except, you know, in that case, they caught more than uh, one person. But I think some of the people they caught were guilty, and at least one of them was probably innocent. And a couple of them got away altogether. And uh, he was under very close scrutiny by the New York Red Squad. Uh, and for a number of reasons, uh, I feel that he and the Muslims were very manipulated to uh, fight each other based on government activity. 
And uh, so I feel that there's something very wrong in Malcolm's case. And Manny Marable's book, I think, is probably the best on that. And, and just to get your comment quick on Robert F. Kennedy, because his son, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., right now, I believe uh, last year, met with Sirhan Sirhan for a three-hour sit-down and just came away saying he doesn't believe Sirhan killed his father. Uh, and so he, he signed this petition as well. And just what are your thoughts on RFK? Well, uh, the RFK case to me is the most straightforward of all four. Uh, this is a case that should have been resolved a long time ago uh, because RFK, uh, according to the coroner, who did a very, very careful autopsy, uh, uh, showed that there was a, te- uh, uh, a marking of powder from the uh, the handgun that killed Bobby. Uh, shows that the uh, gun uh, went off within an inch of his head and from behind. And nobody, nobody can uh, put Sirhan in that place. He was in front of him and he never got closer than two or three feet. So somebody else fired the fatal shot. It's, it's really about as simple as that. Uh, if he had, if his lawyer had not been so compromised, uh, he was in trouble uh, for a variety of reasons. But around people like Johnny Roselli, who was involved in the Kennedy, the JFK case, I believe, and a lot of researchers believe, if his lawyer had not been compromised and unwilling to do the kind of defense that Sirhan should have had, uh, we wouldn't be talking about this case today. I think it would have been resolved. And, you know, in, in in today's news, there's a lot of talk uh, about this thing called, you know, the, the deep state. Uh, Eisenhower's told us about the military-industrial complex. Uh, I know when I was uh, teaching at university some st- starting six, seven years ago, uh, I started teaching the t- term deep state back when everyone was still calling, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists. And we, with my class, we actually interviewed Peter Dale Scott, one of the, I guess, founding um, fathers of the deep politics uh, academic studies. And um, what, just what are your thoughts? How would you identify these group of actors? Is it like the CIA, Pentagon, uh, deep state, military industrial complex, that and more. Yeah, that and more. I, I, I really agree with Peter on this. Uh, he, he's one of my uh, neighbors, practically. We live in the same part of the world, and get together uh, from time to time and talk. And uh, uh, I completely agree with him. That's why I uh, enjoy seeing him. Uh, it's, you know, I've always felt that when you've got a world around you where more than half of the world is driven by an underground economy, you know, drugs and arms, to be blunt. Uh, and this stuff is not controlled, not seen, not taxed, not known about. You've got a whole dark side of the world that people don't know anything about. And that's, that, that dark side of the world is going to have impacts. You combine that, uh, you know, that those, you know, relatively netherworld forces, if you will, uh, along with the over ground forces of you know the, the intelligence agencies and military and uh organized crime and uh the rest of it and uh you've got 
all these shifting alliances, you know, and, 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 you know, and it's not a monolith of any sort. Uh, it's not one great cabal or any of that kind of nonsense. Uh, and I object to the term even, you know, conspiracy for the reason that it's been so abused. I prefer the term operation, you know, the way the intelligence, the military people do it. But when they want to get something done, they put together a team, they get it done. Uh, and uh, these, again, these forces are not monolithic. They shift uh, according to, you know, their interests and uh, sometimes even compete against each other. And, you know, who knows? Probably maybe sometimes they even do the right thing. But I think most of the time they act in opposition to what really needs to happen. And we need to name these forces. We need to address them. And when we are have mastered the language, I think we're going to live in a better place. Yeah, and and that was my next question. So you know, I find that the public acknowledgement of U.S. government involvement in these assassinations is of absolute fundamental importance today for the, for the health and the democracy and well being of America. Uh, you know, and that's why I often included this information in the courses that I taught. Um, you know, it's kind of, I, I would give an analogy, you know, let's say somebody uh, has uh, cancer, you know, and so you have to diagnose the tumor in the body, find the location, and then remove the tumor and then allow the body to heal, or the system will rot uh, and, and die. And so, you know, just to quote Dr. William Pepper, who was Martin Luther King's uh, lawyer in a recent article uh, regarding this new pe petition, he said that it's time that the American... Uh, uh, people are aware of the truth of this assassination. And Robert F. Kennedy's uh, aide, Walensky, commented that what a profound effect these assassinations had on this country. These people and the forces who were responsible for these murders are still among us. The institutions are still there and they're still doing all the same things. So that's the problem. Um, and so could you tell us about this new uh, petition? Why now? Uh, what has changed, and what is it seeking to accomplish? Well, I, this, uh, why now, and uh, that really revolves around the willingness of uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. and his sister Kathleen Kennedy Townsend to uh, sign this petition. Uh, uh, Adam Walensky, who was uh, RFK's uh, speechwriter, back in the day is also part of this uh, initiative. And it's important uh, that they all came together uh, to make this statement because it, it's brought the researchers together in a way that you don't generally see the researchers do. Uh, we feel an obligation to work as a united front for the next period of time to support the Kennedys. Uh, we've been waiting for decades for them to come forward. And it's my understanding that the family has been reluctant. Uh, and, you know, and to be fair, uh, Teddy said, uh, Teddy Kennedy said himself decades ago that if there's new evidence, uh, and, and he thought there might be that people should go forward with it, no matter how difficult it is for the family. Uh, and, so this is the moment. Uh, it's 2019. It's 55, 56 years later. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, died. Witnesses have died. Uh, and uh, I understand, although I don't agree with the fact that the families 
been uh, unwilling to take a public stand on this all these years. But now two of the most important people in the family are. And they're, and they're serious about it, too. They're not just giving lip service. So this is the best, and I would argue the last moment, to move together effectively. I think you get these kind of moments every 20 years or so in this kind of case uh, when there's some kind of break. And this is the equivalent of a break in the case. We have to take advantage of it. Do you feel that President Trump uh, would be able to help this process or not? Because I believe, uh, was it a year or two ago, he was supposed to declassify a lot of material related to JFK, but then I don't know how much was declassified. Could you comment on that? Sure. Uh, he, he, he didn't, uh, he wasn't willing, he wasn't able. Uh, he said that he was constrained uh, from releasing all the material, which he had promised over and over again to do. So the, the agencies have, are very, very upset about this material. And there's a reason why, because you're talking to somebody who's read a lot of it. <laughs> and, uh, I just found, for example, a document, uh, I got, uh, it sent to me two days ago saying that the Bay of Pigs was an event where most of the Cuban exiles uh, felt that the CIA totally, uh, you know, uh, dropped the ball by design, not by accident. And uh, those kind of documents are explosive. Uh, most people in this country believe the CIA and JFK bungled the Bay of Pigs. I'm of the belief that the Bay of Pigs was one big con game run by the CIA designed to blackmail JFK into uh, a full-blown invasion uh, to topple Castro. And uh, because it wasn't going to work. And the CIA, from everything we're seeing now, knew it wasn't going to work. And this is why these cases are important, because I think that the Bay of Pigs and the missile crisis were largely manufactured to force an invasion on Cuba that we were at war with Cuba for several years during the 1960s and didn't realize it, didn't know it, didn't talk about it. And uh, only the fallout from the JFK assassination, which I think was yet another provocation to get us to go to war with Cuba, uh, it failed. And LBJ didn't want any part of it. He didn't want any part of these people. Within two months, uh, Orlando Bosch managed to down LBJ's uh, Air Force One. He had to take a helicopter to get to Miami. And he was not happy. And that, to me, that's the history of the first half of the 60s. And I sound like a renegade uh, instead of a, you know, a researcher by, uh, by saying that. I'm a trained attorney. I really go very carefully on this stuff trying to follow the facts. And uh, when you have your history stolen from you and your leader stolen from you, and a better day stolen from you, as we did in the 1960s, it's important to try to get those truths out there so we can have a more articulate conversation about where to go from here, as well as analyzing our past. You know, speaking of documents, um, one response I get from most people, which is very defeatist, they say, oh, we'll never know. Um, 
but it's actually, I think, um, amazing how much that we can know and how much documentation that, that we have that can give us, not, not in just these assassinations, but sim- similar such um, operations, as you say, how much we can know definitively if you just if you just research, you know, the stuff is out there. And I would just like to read just two paragraphs um, that you wrote from, I think it's the Mary Farrell Foundation website regarding uh, your book uh, on Oswald in Mexico City, which is online for free, people can read. Uh, and so I'm just going to read. It says, we need more historians and researchers that are willing to roll up their sleeves instead of rolling over for another paycheck. This is a live case here with people still alive who can talk. Thanks to public pressure, the JFK case is one of the only cases that brings CIA operations, their sources, methods into the sunlight. The cover-up of the president's death is a state secret. The tale of the Mexico City tapes is a state secret. Much of the history of the U.S. is hidden from us behind the wall of overclassifications and redactions. By comparison, we know more about the JFK case than I ever thought was possible. Much more of it sits in the National Archives and the websites of the Mary Farrell Foundation, the uh, Poetage Legislative Library at Baylor, the Harold Weisberg Archive, the National Security Archive, Presidential Libraries, and other locations waiting for us to read it, sift through it, analyze it, um, and so on. And then you say the JFK case is not an unsoluble mystery, but more of a steeplechase. What we need is access to our history and the passion for tough-minded analysis. It's not a lot different than a clear-eyed examination of the roots of war, what it will take to end world hunger or global warming. Erico Malatesta was a well-known Italian agitator who spoke throughout Europe about his vision for a better world. Malatesta would often suggest that everything depends on what the people are capable of wanting. So, um, what can you say about how much uh, we can really find out and know? Well, uh, that's my favorite part of the book, and thank you for reading it, uh, because that's what drives me. And... uh, it's hard to, you know, I thought about that passage really carefully because I feel so passionately about it. I think uh, in terms of approaching a big case like the JFK case, you know, one great approach to it is just find one aspect of it that fascinates you and just research the living hell out of it. <laughs> Uh, that works for a lot of people. Uh, I'm always trying to figure ways to inspire people to do research because uh, it's uh, I, it's a very fulfilling personal journey, I think. And it's really important for people to do it and then, you know, find a venue to get your material out there, even if it's just a blog, as long as you get it on the Internet. You know, in the United States in the last 10, 20 years, we've made a lot of the intelligence people completely miserable simply by typing up their stories or, you know, scanning these documents and putting them on the internet. You know, these people are being outed. You know, this is really good. This is one of the aspects of the internet that's not well known. Uh, and, and Mary Farrell's like an engine that gets this material, you know, into the light. And we need more engines like it. Another question about the psychological uh, aspect, which, for me, fascinates me a lot, uh, the kind of cognitive dissonance. It seems that most Americans have sort of constructed a false belief system that their government is always a good protector and good by nature and not capable of such evil. And therefore, it cannot be true, you know, that the Kings and Kennedys were assassinated by elements of the state. 
Uh, and when they're confr- confronted with some of these facts, they willfully refuse to face them and alter their belief system. And they would just rather, you know, uh, reject reality. And so, you know, could you comment on why uh, people are not interested in these topics and why they haven't really penetrated the public consciousness as much? Well, uh, let me offer uh, another point of view on that, because you're certainly right that a lot of people feel that way. But there's also a point of view that a lot of people don't. Uh, In the last 50 years, there's been a consistent majority that believe that more than one person was involved in the killing of Kennedy. And uh, there's been periods of time, I don't know where it stands right now, where people uh, by a majority have felt that the CIA was involved in his death. I mean, that's an extraordinary finding uh, by the polls uh, in a nation where uh, it, the citizens believe that the United States is an exceptional nation, you know, the best of all nations. Most countries, you know, they have pride in their country. Sure, they, you know, uh, uh, feel, you know, uh, feel good about where they live and want to feel good about their government, but they don't have a blind spot the way Americans do about their country being better than everybody else. They know it's just one country with aspirations that aren't any really, really any different than any other country. And there's some good and there's some bad. And, uh, you know, America's had, uh, this terrible history with slavery and genocide of the native Americans. And, uh, so you, you look at that and, you know, it, it, until you come to terms with that, you can't get a holistic view of America. And these assassinations of the 60s fall into the same basket. Uh, you know, I, I feel confident that over the decades we're going to come to terms with these assassinations. And uh, I think the only reason we haven't, done it so far is the mass media in this country in particular, uh, which which is uh, run by private corporations. uh, They have a very strong policy against uh, anything to do with this. Uh, And here's a very quick anecdote. Alec Baldwin uh, uh, did a little uh, dinner with uh, some researchers about a year and a half ago out in Houston. And he told us uh, that he was pitching a JFK uh, biopic of sorts on the assassinations to NBC. NBC said, actually, our policy is to support the Warren uh, report. Now, the Warren report was issued in 1964. That would be like in 1964, uh, a, a TV station saying, we support uh, you know, the findings of the Russo-Japanese War of 1908. I mean, this is 55 years ago, and they're still relying on a, you know, a relatively obscure governmental report where it had no legal framework or backing or anything. Just, you know, people, you know, saying what they said to, you know, keep the country calm so we didn't get into another war uh, as a result of this assassination. It, so that's a crazy, crazy situation to have with your mass media in a country that prides itself on free speech uh, and uh, democracy. And it, it, it's in, it's indicative of the problems that we have here. I, I believe that the reason we're making some headway in this case at this point in time is because of the mass number of documents combined with the fact that the mass media in this country is literally crumbling uh, like it is in most countries, social media, 
and other forms are playing a bigger role. And is, is there anything, you know, you mentioned Alec Baldwin, that was one of my next questions that, what can you tell us, uh, is there anything else interesting you can tell us about the cast of characters that have signed this petition? You have uh, Oliver Stone, Martin Sheen, Daniel Ellsberg, David Crosby, um, and as well as um, why don't more people stand up? Um, and what can you say of the people uh, that have signed the petition? Uh, and I mean, they seem to be pretty pretty brave, and that's admirable. Yeah, well, and that's what it is. Uh, it, it's easy to be brave when you're older. <laughs> when you're a younger person, one, this case, yeah, you may not understand this case as well because you missed it historically. But even, but the other piece of it is that uh, you, you've got a career to protect and you don't want impediments in your career. Now, I've found that this has only aided my career, but I'm a civil rights attorney. You know, we're kind of a, you know, a maverick breed anyway. Uh, Oliver Stone, his career really took a hit from this case. And it's great that, that he has stood with us all these years since he took that enormous hit. Uh, and uh, I think for most of the other luminaries, if you will, who signed this, the, you know, their position is similar to Oliver's, you know, David Crosby spoke out about this case at the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, and uh, musicians have a certain degree of freedom, but uh, it's certainly not absolute. You don't you know if you do this case seriously, like Moritz Saul did, did uh, and Oliver Stone did, uh, both of whom signed this, uh, it, it causes real damage to your career, and you just, you know, that's why you don't see uh, more people like that take action yeah and you know you, you're right um some years ago when i was teaching i had some of my classes taken away for a semester or two um eventually the the some of the people in charge uh came and went and so they were given back to me so that's an example of i think some people didn't like these things that i were teaching that i was teaching so <laughs> Well, you you deserve all the kadoos available because it's a it's a headache. Uh, I was one of the reasons I didn't get involved in this for years is I did not want the embarrassment, the social ostracism, and happily my friends, you know, were more were stronger on these cases than I realized. I'm happy to say, but uh, many many people have not had that experience. Now, can you tell us, uh, going back then to this new uh, petition, uh, what obstacles uh, exist? What what are some things that might happen or need to happen going uh, forward, 2019-2020? Well, a good question. Uh, I mean, first, we've got to get more traction in the media, social media and mass media. Uh, you know, we had some great social media initiatives in the last few days, but I don't know. You know we're going to have to constantly feed the media beast if we're going to get real traction because we need uh, we need to raise consciousness on this case. We need to uh, build a global network of people who care about these cases and cases like it. To me, this is all about history at the end of the day. Uh, it's about uh, post-war history since world war two, 
uh, around the world and how we can overcome these kind of obstacles. Because when there are assassinations, when there are mysterious plane crashes, when there are mysterious scandals that down people uh, and movements that are promising uh, and uh, ready to take the stage or have taken the stage, we can't attain the kind of social change that needs to happen. So it's a piece of the puzzle. It's not the only piece. Economics, of course, is always a piece of the puzzle, but this is a significant piece. And so uh, we need media, we need uh, movement buy-in, and, and ultimately we need uh, you know, some legislation, I think, in the United States uh, the subpoena power to me is all important. If you can't call these last witnesses and make them talk, you've lost a lot of evidence. We've lost a lot of evidence unnecessarily already. And we've got to try to staunch the bleeding and get these final uh, statements nailed down and, and uh, the documents that have still been withheld from us nailed down. Uh, there's still acres more of documents that need to be subpoenaed that aren't being set aside in the National Archives. The Army Intelligence and the National Security Agency and the Secret Service in particular uh, have resisted providing the documents uh, really obstinately in the last uh, decades. The CIA and the FBI, ironically, have been far more forthcoming. And how successful do you envision, I mean, the, the traction or, or momentum moving ahead for something, anything to, to advance? I, I, I'm relatively hopeful, but one, because I'm an optimist, optimistic person by nature after, you know, a lot of obstacles, I think we can get this done. But it's uh, we've got some new people, all the you know uh, people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and other, at least three other people from her uh, Green New Deal school are, are now on the oversight committee in the House, and that's a super super asset. Uh, we've got to have hearings in the oversight committee, and that's the next thing that needs to happen uh, on the legislative side of things. And then maybe we can get a new JFK Act passed, and maybe we can get oversight to get the rest of these immediate documents uh, released. Uh, so that that would be an important piece of the puzzle. I have uh, one final question before I give you the last word, but I thought I would tie in as well uh, Dags Hammarskjöld, the second UN Secretary General. Uh, I've read the book, uh, the book about his um, death in 1961, his plane crash in Congo. It's an excellent, really excellent book. People should uh, get it. It's called uh, "Who Killed Hammarskjöld," uh, and it basically, you know, makes the case. But I think that I think these same forces killed the second UN Secretary General. So you've got Hammarskjöld, JFK, RFK, MLK, Malcolm X, and you know, there seems to be a clear pattern here in terms of the profiles of these people uh, and the anti-war positions they, they took. Um, and I was just curious uh, about one other person, the, the Beatle, John Lennon, and he seems to as well fit the profile, but I haven't researched it as much, and I think this probably has the least amount of, of evidence, but what can you tell us about your thoughts on John Lennon's assassination, and, and if he would have, if he was assassinated by th this same group of people. Well, 
again, I'm always a little nervous to say these same group of people, but I think I follow your drift, which is, you know, these, uh, you know, the shifting alliances of forces, if you will, that, uh, uh, and, uh, my, the, the biggest question I have about the John Lennon one, and I hope people continue to dig into them. There are a few good, uh, researchers on his case. Uh, and what I find most troubling is that this guy, Mark, David Chapman doesn't really remember what happened. Seems like he was hypnotized in some kind of way or had suffered in some kind of way. And, uh, it was, uh, affiliated with world vision, uh, which is a, a cult type group that you know, still exists and they're all around the world. Uh, basically doing intelligence under the guise of humanitarian work. And, uh, that's one of the, aspects that is really important in these cases is when you study them just you get a real picture of the you know how the intelligence agencies use for example the unitarians the quakers and other liberal organizations as a place to hide as a place to uh do intelligence as a place to recruit people witting who are witting or unwitting as to how they're being used and it's a revelation uh, my personal thinking is that after somewhere around the, uh, I, I think we had a real spate of assassinations in the U- U.S. in the 60s and 70s, and it kind of petered out after the John Lennon one, which I think was, uh, I think that one was largely to kill people's hope after Reagan's ascension. And then the shooting of Reagan itself, I think people felt that this was not an effective tactic anymore, that it was going, quote, too far. And uh, if I noticed in the decades ahead, uh, for the next 20 years, what we had said was assassination by character, where people spent the 80s and 90s running down people like Clinton or Gary Hart, uh, who wanted to open up the JFK case. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Bill Clinton nonsense and uh, all these things uh, became the new way of downing your opponent, which in fact, I think happened, you know, in decades past as well, but reached a new crescendo. And now that seems to, have uh, not, uh, been as effective anymore. And so I think they're casting around for other new ways to, uh, destroy people politically without beating them, you know, at the polls. So it's a long process. And I think most of your listeners are probably familiar with, the dangers of this kind of thing. And I agree with you about Deck Hammerschold, and I agree with you about the insidiousness of this whole business. And so do you have any final uh, thoughts for us? Uh, my thoughts on it are that conspiratorial thinking is treacherous. Uh, and uh, I think one of our biggest obstacles is the tendency to want to find a great Satan or a simple answer to all this. I, I, I don't generally get annoyed with people who throw up their hands on this subject because it's, it's a difficult subject and it requires a lot of research. I don't pretend to be the expert on the Malcolm X case. I know what I think. I know what I believe and I've read enough. To, so I think it's in my opinion is informed, but uh, I know the JFK case, for example, a whole lot better because I, there's a whole lot more documents. And I think, for me, the study of the JFK case is a study in Cold War history, 
and American history and world history uh, of a depth that you only get when you take, when you turn to your passion and uh, uh, kind of use it as a place to challenge the powers that be. So I encourage people uh, who are listening to follow their passion and to follow a subject that they really care a lot about uh, and, and uh, follow it to its logical conclusion. I think at the end, uh, we have an opportunity to open up these four cases in the 60s because so many people have this passion. And with the Kennedy stepping forward, I think that we may have a unique moment this year to uh, bring together a global force of researchers and uh, change the dialogue. All right. And are there any websites you'd like to mention? I know there's the Mary Farrell Foundation, Citizens Against Political Assassinations. What, what would you like to l let listeners uh, know about? Well, uh, that, that's, a, you know, in keeping with where I've uh, offered my thoughts today, maryfarrell.org uh, is a great place to start because there's so many sets of documents there on the JFK and MLK cases and Watergate and Iran-Contra, which were similar uh, deep state moments, if you will, where you know a lot of the same people were involved. Uh, so, uh, I, I certainly recommend that I'm not, uh, uh, if you like the JFK case, uh, I recommend the Harold Weisberg, uh, site over at, uh, hood.edu Weisberg spelled W E I S B E R G. Uh, he's got a whole different set of documents than Mary Farrell does. And I find those mesmerizing. Uh, because they're really good. There's lots of alternative media clips that uh, intelligence agencies clipped that uh, you can find uh, in those archives, as well as really good FBI documents in particular. All right, Mr. Simpich, um, you know, this was a great uh, conversation. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. We can go on for hours, but unfortunately, I think we're running, we've run out, out of time. And, you know, we hope this new petition forces change and helps to bring back uh, democracy to America. Uh, and thank you again for the work and the research that you've done. Well, thank you. And thank you for the work you've done and best to all your listeners.